You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. Uh, We've been on a bit of a break. It's been a few weeks since the last time we've spoken to you all. Uh, I've heard from at least one listener looking for a new episode. So for that guy, uh, we're here for you, man. It's super wild card weekend. That's right. We'll be talking about all the games. Uh, Obviously, we had Black Monday with the uh, coaching moves. A bunch had been made beforehand, but a couple more uh, we'll talk about. Maybe some uh, some candidates there. We'll pick some games, look at the wild card games. And also, New Year, we haven't had a guest in some time. So uh, we've got a guest. Let's go to him now. He's the quarterback from the University of San Diego, the Toreros, number eight, Judd Erickson. Judd, welcome to Pros Like Us. How you doing? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, it's that time of year. College season is over. Everything's happening. First thing I wanted to ask you, I noticed on your profile that you're a CPR instructor. Is that the case? I am, yeah. So my mom works for uh, the Red Cross, and she's certified there. So through her, I was able to um, get connected. And, and for a while, we've been helping out with her classes. But this last summer, I actually... Um, became a certified instructor through the Red Cross. So now I'm certified to instruct uh, CPR and AED um, and, and first aid classes like that. So I am, yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, obviously, I mean, it's been in the news most recently, the situation with DeMar Hamlin and the Buffalo right. Bills uh, right. and the Cincinnati game. And as luck should have it, I think he was actually released from the from the hospital in Buffalo today after only being yep. there, I think, for like 24 hours. So just yep. amazing. Did you see that in real time? I mean, is, were you watching the game? Yeah, I, I had it on in the background. I was doing some stuff on my computer, but then I kind of looked up after a little and, and saw what was going on i missed the play though so i didn't see it so i had to go back and kind of look into like oh what happened and obviously it was all over the internet so you could find it pretty easy but i did see that and then saw that that game had gotten canceled and and yeah that was just a a crazy situation so what were your thoughts i mean being a cpr instructor you hear they're administering cpr on a football field what kind of emotions what kind of thoughts were going through your head that's awesome for those athletic staff, um, the training staff there to, to be ready and be prepared in that situation because you can go through the, the classes that we teach and things like that and, and be taught. And, and hopefully uh, through that, that gives you the confidence to, you know, use your knowledge in a situation like that. And but similar to, to playing football, playing quarterback, I should say, it's always different when, you know, it's a live situation. So um, I think that's just really cool that they were to. Uh, able to act the way that they did and, and eventually, you know, help in, in saving his life. Judd, where are you training right now for the NFL draft? Where are you Yeah, at? so I'm in San Diego. Um, I'm still working with uh, the strength staff at USD. Um, so I'm doing that with, we've got a group of, uh, there's four of us seniors that are training together for our pro days. Obviously, the, the All-Star Games have started. It's the All-Star Circuit. Have you participated in any games already, or have you been invited to, to any yeah, others so I, out there? I played in the FCS Bowl um, in Daytona Beach 
after that, now I, I've been invited to play in the Tropical Scrimmage in Orlando, Florida, coming up uh, next week. How was the FCS Bowl for you? Uh, tell us about that experience, just in general, being, you know, in Florida and participating in, in an all-star sure, game in sure. December. It was, it was a really cool experience for me. I hadn't really done anything like that before, and getting to go out there and, and play with a bunch of guys with a lot of talent, it was honestly just a great honor to have the opportunity to play in that and play with those guys. And and But then it was a really cool experience, you know, to go meet a bunch of guys from a bunch of different schools and and be able in just a couple of days to kind of put together a, a playbook and a game plan and go out there and, and play together. It was really cool and, and a great experience. It was awesome. I loved it. What other sports did you play growing up in high school and how have they helped you on the football yeah, field? Growing up, I mean, we played everything. My brother and I, we we did it all. We went through all the sports. and um, But then going into high school, um, I stuck to football and lacrosse and then Later in high school, I actually uh, played a season of my senior year. I went out for the basketball team and, and played a year of basketball, too. So mostly football, lacrosse, a little bit of, of basketball. And, yeah, you mentioned kind of how does that translate. I think it's it's awesome to kind of see really how much different sports kind of cross over and, and different you know skills that you need kind of play into uh, different sports and and will show up in different scenarios and you can kind of relate the two and and really see how you know the athletic ability of of each sport kind of crosses over and and yeah it was it's pretty cool to see coming out of high school what were the main reasons why you chose colorado state yeah it was it was a cool opportunity for me to go do that i think uh, it started with um i had a, a couple conversations with some coaches up there and um, really liked the staff and liked what they were doing there. It was also in-state. It was close to home, able to kind of get up there and, and check it out. Loved the campus. The campus is beautiful. Um, they are putting in that new stadium. And so everything kind of came together, you know, good staff, good area, close to home, um, a good school. So it kind of all came together. And, and so Colorado State's where I went. You go to Colorado State, and I didn't mention it before, but I that is from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. So like you said, that yes, of course, that is in-state. Uh, you're a pretty decorated high school player, had a lot of success. You go to Colorado State and doesn't look like you really played much. Can you kind of take us through just that whole experience and, and what was happening during those years? Yeah, so um, I was actually a preferred walk-on there. I was not on scholarship at Colorado State. Going up there, there's that talk about being a walk-on and, and, you know, your opportunities are limited. And so I was just going up there trying to prove myself and create some more opportunities for myself. And um, obviously it didn't quite go the way you wanted. Like you mentioned, you know, I, I really didn't play much at all. Just kind of trying to work out the depth chart. And after my three years there, never, you know, did it enough to have a significant amount of time on the playing field. Okay. So then you end up transferring to University of San Diego and quite frankly, a much, much lower level of competition. And really, before talking to you, the only thing I knew about the University of San Diego is I think that was the first college job Jim Harbaugh had right. as a head coach, other than like the fabulous weather, the beaches, and everything else. What led you to go join the Toreros? Putting my name in the transfer portal, as we have said, didn't really see much of the playing field at Colorado State. I didn't really have any game film. Um, and so going into the transfer portal with no game film, you know, I had the expectation that 
you know, I would have to go down to, like you said, a, a smaller school. And so I kind of had that expectation going into the transfer portal and wasn't hearing from a ton of schools, to be honest, and uh, had a few that it was kind of coming down to. And then uh, started hearing from San Diego. And after coming out here and checking out the school, man, obviously, like you mentioned, there's the weather is amazing. The beaches are right there. But then going and checking out the school, the campus is absolutely beautiful. Um, the education here, it's well known that, that the University of San Diego is a great education and, and can lead you to some, some really good opportunities after school. And then the football program, talking to the, to the staff and meeting some of the guys. Um, I loved everything about it. And then uh, the scheme that, that they run here offensively is, is one that fit my playing style. And so really all the pieces came together. And yeah, when I transfer portal, it really seemed like and turned out to be the perfect fit for me. In the second half of your senior year, you looked like a different quarterback. You were playing with a lot of confidence and your numbers were definitely terrific. I mean, they stood out from even the, the first half of the season. What was the biggest difference for you? You know, I kind of touched on it very briefly before, but everything's different, you know, when it's a live situation. You can sit back there and practice and you know, you wear that different colored jersey as a quarterback and they can't touch you and kind of make your reads and, and go through, um, run the offense, things like that. But it's all different when you get out there and, and you're playing full speed uh, with people trying to take your head off, honestly. Uh, with this being my first year having significant um, playing time, it really, I think for me, it just took me time to kind of get caught up and, and start to trust what I was seeing and relax and play and and I think that's kind of when you mentioned the second half of that year starting to look a little bit different for me. I think that's really when things started slowing down. They started slowing down for me and, and I really was trusting what I was seeing. I was able to kind of relax and play a little bit more free. And I just started to have a lot more fun with it. And that kind of helped me, you know, feel like I was a kid in the backyard again. And, and uh, it was just a lot of fun for me personally to kind of see the way I was able to, you know, kind of grow as a quarterback, even just throughout one season. So not everybody has a straight line path as far as their careers go. Judd, obviously yours has taken, you know, a couple of detours, quite frankly, kind of a stop at Colorado State. You don't play for three years and then you go to this school and you just took us through the second half of the year. It took, it took that long. What did you kind of lean on in terms of continuing the pursuit of being a quarterback, of being a, an NFL prospect? I mean, what did you hold on to? Yeah, sure. I think, well, there's a lot of things that kind of go into that. Uh, a ton of support from my friends and, and really from my family. You know, my, my parents and my brother, they've always told me, you know, as long as you're giving it your all, like we're, we're here for you and we're going to support you however we can. Yeah, they've done everything for me. They've done more than, you know, I thought that they could. And they've just been so supportive in helping me. But really, I think the main thing for me was, you know, leaning on my faith and, and knowing that I think that God has a plan for me and, and that, you know, if that is to keep playing football, then that's going to happen for me and no one's going to be able to stop that from happening. And so um, I really just decided to lean on that and give it my all. And when he tells me that, that the time for me to play football is done, then I'll listen to that. But, you know, he hasn't showed me that yet. And so, um, as long as that's the case, I'm going to I'm going to keep giving it my all and keep doing everything I can to to keep playing this game. Was there a low point at some point where maybe you started having some doubts and maybe I should go try to do something else? If so, how did you kind of work through it? 
there definitely was some times that, you know, I thought about, hey, maybe is my time to be done with this. I think one of them was, you know, going into the transfer portal after Colorado State and not hearing from a ton of schools. Um, I think there was just a, a brief moment there where I thought, you know, maybe I should be done. And, and But to be honest with you, that was a very short-lived thought. I think um, after that, I, I kind of had put it in my mind that, no, like, I, I love this game and, and I'm not ready for this to be over. So at that point, I decided that I'd do whatever it took. And if I didn't get any offers but a D3 school, I was going to go ahead and do that anyways. So I decided that another, another struggle for me was uh, coming into – uh, my first year at, at San Diego was that spring season, actually, that we played after COVID. And that first year I came in with with an injury. Uh, I was a little bit behind there at first. But then going into the season, uh, I was the fourth-string quarterback. I didn't even travel the first year, that first uh, six-game spring season that we had. I wasn't even on the travel. I wasn't even making the travel trips. And so, you know, you get this fresh start. You come to a new school, and it's – all right, cool. Like this is, I'm going to go compete for the job and, and let's go see if we could do this thing. And then that first season to not even be on the bus, uh, it was a little bit like, oh no, like what are, what are we getting ourselves into? But at the end of that year, that spring season, I kind of shut that out and decided, you know what, I need to work a little bit harder and just kind of, you know, dug in a little bit and, and put in a little bit extra work and, um, just decided to kind of focus on myself and start growing, and and now we're here. You mentioned things had slowed down for you, you know, in that kind of second half of the season. Alex had asked about was there a particular moment, a play, point in a game? I mean, what, was there some kind of pivotal moment where it's like, okay, I got this? Yeah, yeah, there there was really. I so the first two games we were. All right, as an offense, um, had a little lull after that, and then really the Drake game. I was pretty poor um, individually. We ended up winning the game, and, and our defense really helped us out, and, and a lot of other guys in the offense made making some plays. But uh, personally, I struggled that day, and so that's kind of where my confidence this season was at its low point. The next game that we played was Presbyterian, and. At the beginning of the game, I wasn't at the same low point that I was after Drake, but there was definitely a little bit of my confidence was uh, wavering a little, and, and I kind of needed just a little spark and, and started off pretty hot in that game. And so after you know really making a couple of completions and, and pushing the ball down the field and, and uh, making some plays, I was like, all right, this is slowing down for me. Like I am the quarterback that I think that I am and, and started making some plays and really started relaxing in that game. And kind of looked up after the game and, and we had kind of rolled as an offense. And so um, that one really helped me um, in my confidence. And, and uh, that one is kind of when I started playing a lot better. And, and that was kind of the turning point for me. You're a head coach, Dale Lindsay. He has played and coached in the NFL. What have you learned from him? How has he helped you? He's very focused on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, when it comes to football wise he'll i mean he'll definitely go out there and coach up he's not afraid to coach somebody that's not in his position groups he works mostly with the linebackers but for the most part he's working with the defensive side of the ball the biggest things that i've learned from coach Lindsay are more lessons about life you know he's a great guy to just walk into the offices when you got some free time and go sit in his office and talk to him and, and he's got a lot of experience and a lot of different things and 
uh, to be honest with you, he's got a lot of great stories. And so um, a lot of the lessons that I've actually learned from Coach Lindsay, you know, more about life and more about being a man than, than really what it is, um, you know, on the football field. So uh, he's a he's a great coach and, and a, a great mentor, but learned a lot of good things from him. And I would recommend to anybody if you get some free time and you're able to have a one on one conversation with Dale Lindsay that you know, you wouldn't regret doing it. So we, we've kind of outlined your career, okay? I mean, not not a lot of game reps. Uh, you're 24 years old, mm-hmm. pretty good size, 6'4", 225. It, it looks good on paper. What are the attributes that you have that, in your mind, make you an NFL prospect? Sure. I think that um, as I started to show, especially in the second half of the year, that um, I'm able to take care of the ball and – and do things like that and, and throw accurate passes and all the things that you want to see from a quarterback. I think a lot of my attributes aren't ones that, you know, you can find on a stat sheet. I think a lot of it have to do with um, my leadership skills and the, the relationships that I'm able to build with my teammates and really be able to push myself, but also push others and, and be able to kind of take command of the offense and, and really get everybody on the same page. I think that um, that is kind of something, like I said, you can't really find it on a stat sheet or anything, but I think that's really something that separates me from, from other guys. Finally, I mean, I guess the, the way the game has almost changed, just about every quarterback coming into the league now has to have some mobility. You know, you're not going to see too many Tom Brady's coming up anymore. You're just not trained that way. If you were to characterize your style of play and what would suit you best with type of offense, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think the the pro style offense where there's a ton ton on the quarterback. I think that's kind of something that I fit in with, and you know I, I think that I can help us a lot by being another coach on the field and really understand what we're trying to get done with each play and get us into the right play see what we're getting, um, get the ball to our playmakers out there in space um, and, you know, let them do what they do. And so I think an offense, a pro-style offense is, is kind of what we get into here at San Diego and really puts a lot on the quarterback to really take command out there and, and like I said, get us in the right play and get the ball to, you know, the fast guys out on the perimeter. So. All right, great. Jed, it's been our pleasure having you on today. This has been great. This is usually the time when we give our, our guys the opportunity to plug their social media, shout out a family member, whoever, anything you're affiliated with or is yours. Yeah, I, I guess I don't have much to say. I appreciate you guys spending the time with me here and, and reaching out and, and getting this thing set up. And I had a lot of fun. Again, that's Judd Erickson, University of San Diego Toreros, number eight. Look for him in the draft this year. Uh, always good to have a guest on the show, Alex. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, Lou. Just uh, getting back in the swing of things again after the holidays and uh, talking some football with you again. And now, you know, that we're back. Last time we, we did the show, it was like week 15, right? Now we're in the wild card yep. round, and I'm just looking forward to it. There are a couple of matchups that are just really, really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, always, and there's some huge question marks too. You think going into the playoffs, uh, everything would be set. These teams are rolling, but not so much. You've got some teams stumbling in. You've got quarterback questions. But for I just wanted to hit one thing real quick because in the meantime, we had a you know like a huge story 
story situation, near tragic uh, situation in the NFL with DeMar Hamlin. Um, I've been watching football for nearly 50 years. Um, never seen anything like that. I mean, I've seen guys get hit, taken off, and then later it was determined they were paralyzed. Um, there have been pl- you know, at least one player. Again, I don't remember this too much. It was the like early 70s. Guy, you know, took a pretty vicious hit, and he ends up passing away on the either on the way to the hospital or at the hospital. But this was like nothing I'd ever seen before. As soon as you hear the announcers say CPR, then everything just stops, right? I mean, this is okay. We're not thinking about the game. We're not thinking about you know, well, geez, how are these guys going to come back and play this game? It's like you got to save this guy's life. And just the the team, the the doctors, the trainers, uh, the, the the first responders. I mean, everybody involved. It, it, it you know again, you didn't see it, but it really seems like it went about as well as possible. And the fact that Demar has been released within a week from the Cincinnati hospital, flown to Buffalo. Now he's at Buffalo General and. FaceTiming with his teammates, just just incredible story. Kind of everything kind of stopped for a few days football wise, but uh, just just great, amazing story. I don't know, Alex, I don't know if you were watching it. You just kind of saw the action. I mean, what were you thinking, you know, when you see and you hear CPR? I think when we look at these players from afar and we think that they're superhuman, right? They're doing some things on on the football field that you and I could could only wish to be doing, right? These are uh, world-class athletes, right? And when a guy collapses like that, and when a thing occurs, you just you're reminded that they're regular human beings that they have health problems just like the rest of us and they do occur I mean, in situations we we haven't seen too much of it like you elaborated we haven't seen too many situations like that on the football field but it does hit close to home when you do see a, a football player an athlete or someone you know you know collapsing in, in front of your television or in front of your eyes and you know obviously a situation like that shook many people up not only you and me it shook every it shook the entire sports world, I think, and you're just reminded that that life is is a precious thing, and it could be taken away from you at any given time. Right, just the idea that those guys went back and played, and even you know, once they kind of knew he was doing better and okay, uh, I mean, the most amazing thing is, you know, the first thing that he communicates is, "Didn't we win?" You know, that just I guess goes to the competitor and what how these guys are wired uh i guess that's the the one thing is that you know it's almost like they're interchangeable parts but no everybody's different but the bottom line is to get to that level to be able to play at that level the best of the best of the best you know you got to be wired a little bit differently um but yeah it's just very very cool that everything went is going well you you continue to to pray for his recovery and hopefully you know he'll have you know very little uh 
lasting effects from this, whether he plays football again or not. I mean, he's already kind of won this situation. Um, I guess the, the the weird thing, just I guess the kind of sort sort of a cruel irony is maybe I don't know. It happened maybe about ten or fifteen yards from the spot where Tua went down, but he never lost consciousness. Now seeing him in that in that with his hands kind of contorted and everything that was kind of jarring but again you didn't hear cpr he never lost consciousness so just uh, just weird that it happened in the same place so anyway moving on uh hopefully everybody will be healthy and speaking of tua i mentioned you know teams with uh quarterback questions heading into the playoffs which you know it doesn't happen that often but i can remember connor cook starting a a playoff game for the raiders i think it was against houston a few years back and we don't know who the starting quarterback for miami is this weekend we don't know who the starting quarterback is for the baltimore ravens this weekend which again you know it's hard enough to go into a playoff game trying to win but you don't know who your quarterback is is it going to be skylar thompson is it going to be uh Brown again for for Baltimore is is Snoop Huntley going to be healthy enough? Is Lamar going to play finally? I mean, he hasn't played since the fourth of December, and it seems like every week uh, they're expecting him to play, but he hasn't been able to practice. Did he shut it down? And this is like all negotiations and maybe a little bit of health problem. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. This because it's just kind of circled in in sort of secrecy, and it's just it's just hard. You know, it, it really is for that team. I mean, they went in and battled their butts off, and not that the game was ever really in doubt, but they played Cincinnati kind of tough with a third string quarterback. So I don't know. I mean, this is maybe unprecedented to have so many teams with quarterback situations going into a playoff. I don't think the Miami Dolphins have a chance in hell if Tua doesn't play. Just because I don't think the Dolphins' defense is good enough. I don't think the Dolphins' special teams are good enough. I don't think they can do it with Teddy B. And Bridgewater, I believe, was healthy enough to to back up Skylar Thompson in week 18. So I would assume that if Bridgewater is probably going to get the start here if Tua isn't ready to go. Can't imagine Skylar Thompson being the starting quarterback of a playoff game if Teddy Bridgewater's thumb is feeling okay. I just think the Buffalo Bills are going to run away with this. I just I don't think the Dolphins are a good enough team. Even though the Dolphins beat the Dolphins, uh, uh, the Dolphins did beat the Bills in week three, but that was such a long time ago. I mean, the Dolphins, I think, have lost like four out of the last five games. It's a lot. They don't have any momentum. I don't see a team that can rely on one thing. Like, say, again, your starting quarterback isn't playing. You think that your defense can pick it up. The Buffalo Bills are just at a different level and if Josh Allen will keep those mistakes to a minimum doesn't throw picks this is going to be a runaway in my opinion I just think that there's no way the Miami Dolphins can put up a fight um, against I would say one of the best teams in the NFL period well division opponent 
It'll be the third time they've played. The second time, which also looked like, hey, you know, it's cold weather. They're calling for snow. How's this team going to compete? Now, it didn't snow until, I don't know, maybe nine, started snowing about nine minutes left in that game. But Miami took them to the wire. I mean, they had a lead late, and Buffalo did have to kind of come back at the end and win it, kind of at the gun. Uh, so maybe they can hang their hats on that to some degree, but they were again, Tua for all his faults for everything that we've talked about, whether, you know, the lack of arm strength, whatever, he was still able to get some deep balls to waddle and Hill and they struck quickly on, on some of those plays. So that threat has to be there. Teddy two gloves. I don't know. Uh, again, you know, dislocated pinky, you'd think, well, you know, hopefully by now, you know, he should be able to play who knows. So, I mean, that that's, again, it's strange that that's the conversation going into a playoff game. And then with Baltimore, same thing, you know, I mean, how much better are they? I mean, it seems like Burrow was a little off, maybe again, emotional week for the Bengals as well. You know, they, they were fully involved in that situation too so maybe their preparation wasn't quite what it could have been burrow didn't have his best game and they still won the game by like 11 points so uh that's going to be a difficult one i mean it, it now if lamar plays now all bets are off that that point spread will shrink from probably seven and a half down to maybe four and a half or five uh, yeah that's just uh that that's strange and then you go to to a Saturday game, and before the season, if we just said Super Wild Card Weekend, we've got a matchup of Geno Smith versus Brock Purdy. You're like what? Wait, what? <laughs> no, no Trey Lance, no Jimmy G. They're going with Brock Purdy, and of course they've had to. And arguably, I mean, he's even though he's only played what five or six games. He's probably the, the the offensive rookie of the year in the NFC. Almost almost has to be just because of what he's done, how he's kind of elevated that team, got them rolling. Uh, just just an amazing story there. So and then Gino, after what seven or eight years in the league, now all of a sudden he's a Pro Bowler and all you know all the accolades you know over hitting like somewhere around seventy percent completion percentage. Has that team believing in him? That's nuts. That being said, I think San Francisco just rolls them. Yeah, who would have thought that the Seahawks would have made the playoffs after kind of dismantling their team, getting rid of their leaders, trading away Russell Wilson, and then all of a sudden Geno Smith like you know puts this uncharacteristic season together. I mean, I guess the Seahawks knew something. I mean, Pete Carroll, Schneider, but nobody else outside that building could predict them having so much success. It's tough to beat. It's tough to beat a team a third time, right during a season. And the 49ers have beaten the Seahawks twice already this year because they play in the same division. But I just think the 49ers defense is so much more superior. They can get to Geno Smith. They can cause havoc. D'Amico Ryans likes to get, you know, likes to dial it up. He likes to get aggressive. 
and he does have the pieces up front to do it with that defensive line and Nick Bosa. And I just think I don't see how the Seahawks can stop the run. You can focus all you want on Brock Purdy starting his first NFL playoff game and how rookie quarterbacks haven't fared too well like in the last 40 years starting playoff games. But how are you going to stop that running game? How are you going to stop Christian McCaffrey when the Seahawks haven't done anything? They haven't been able to stop the run the entire season. What's magically going to occur like during the wild card round when you know that the 49ers are going to try to control the clock with Debo Samuel coming back, with Christian McCaffrey being there? You know what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. It's not a secret. He's not going to put it up 40 times during this game. Brock Purdy isn't going to be throwing for 300, 350 yards in this game. It's just going to be controlling the clock, picking up those yards on the ground. And that that's the formula for the 49ers. And I just, I don't see how the Seahawks are going to be able to compete. Well, Elijah Mitchell is back too. So, you know, you don't have to you know, rely completely on, on McCaffrey in the running game, which is huge because, I mean, he's always better, I would say, between 15 and 20 carries because he's probably going to make about five or six catches too. So you want to kind of, you know, I don't want to say limit his touches, but you certainly don't want to overuse the guy. He's not huge and he is injury prone. But with Mitchell coming back, that additional speed, now again, it, albeit it was the Cardinals, he looked pretty pretty spry this past weekend against Arizona, and you know he's done. You know Kyle has done this before. I, I remember um, who was it? Was it a game against Minnesota or somebody playoff game? And Jimmy G threw like eight passes, and they roll and they rolled them. So uh, yeah, the moment has not been too big for Brock Purdy to this point, I don't get any indication or any sense that just because this is a playoff game now, all of a sudden, you know, he might regress. I just don't see it happening. They're not going to put him in tough situations. He's going to have easy reads. And again, like you said, Alex, I, you know, it's not on his shoulders, Debo McCaffrey, Kittle, he loves Kittle. I mean, wow. I mean, this is like Kittle's had an offensive explosion since Purdy's come in. So now you'd add that part of the, the arsenal into, into the mix. So, yeah, this is going to be a tough one. You know, it's like nine and a half, probably going to go up from there uh, by game time. I'm guessing it's going to be 10 at least. Tough one to lay the points, but I can't see taking Seattle and just hoping hoping San Francisco doesn't play well or Seattle gets a late score to come in the back door. Uh, Saturday night, uh, Jacksonville playing their second straight playoff game at home. Uh, now, granted, it wasn't a playoff game, but it was a play-in game against uh, Tennessee. Tennessee playing with Joshua Dobbs. Kid's been there for like two weeks. And somehow, again, whether it's Vrabel's coaching, the defense, whatever, they're able to stay in a game. I mean, you saw them do it with Malik Willis. They took the Chiefs to overtime. Uh, Joshua Dobbs, you know, had had Dallas kind of on the ropes. So this was a weird game because you thought, okay, the way Jacksonville is rolling offensively, that you know, they were going to score enough points that Tennessee was just going to have the firepower to match. But they really didn't. 
Uh, Trevor Lawrence didn't have one of his better games. Didn't really make huge mistakes, but he really did, missed some plays where it looked like, you know, I had that, that one to Zay Jones in the end zone was that was like a layup, and somehow he just overthrows it. But uh, but Jacksonville got it done. And then on the other side, you got the Chargers, and we'll talk about Staley later. But they choose; they were kind of locked into the five hole, and somehow. He decides, Staley decides to play a lot of starters and guys that are fairly injury prone, like Bosa, who had just come back, Mike Williams, you know, guys that you can't really afford to lose going into the playoffs. And of course, they get dinged up against the Broncos. They end up losing the game anyway. Uh, they didn't, I don't think they played very well. So it kind of backfires on them. But uh, road favorite. Jacksonville, home dog in the playoffs, which you don't see a lot of. But I don't know. What's your take on this game? I mean, To me, I think if Williams is able to play on offense, it makes them a totally different team, and Herbert can kind of open things up because you know Eckler is going to show up. You know Keenan Allen's going to show up. He seems to find his tight end, Gerald Everett, on a, on a regular basis. So throw in Mike Williams. Now all of a sudden he's got all the parts rolling and it just kind of opens things up. So if Williams plays and and can be effective, they're going to have a real strong opportunity here, but still being the underdog, I think Jacksonville plays a little bit better this game. And I think I kind of like the Jags. This is the toughest game for me, Lou, uh, because you, you look at this and you look at, two of the better young quarterbacks in the game who have never been in the playoffs before. Herbert in his third year, this is his first time sniffing the playoffs. Lawrence, his second year, has taken that step back, step up in play, and he's he played terrific. I mean, over like the second half of the year, he looked like a top-five quarterback. I mean, if you look at his numbers and the way he played down the stretch, I mean, you could definitely put him in that in that category. So it's a game of the quarterbacks. And then you look like who's going to be able to run the run the ball more effectively. And I just think the Chargers will be able to run the ball more effectively in that case. I give them more of an edge here. But the Jaguars have won five straight games. Their defense has played much better during that winning streak. You know, like I said, they have the quarterback, and that's like half of the battle. Peterson has been here before in the playoffs many times. He's won a Super Bowl. The Jaguars won that Week Three matchup against the Chargers, like thirty-eight to ten. It's it's a yeah, totally it's, out, yeah. it's a totally different team right now because right there, like Herbert was hurt. He was having the the rib problem. You know, coming off of that, they didn't have Keenan Allen. So to me, I'll save this for the lock of the week, but I'm having a really tough time like this. Wow, so tough time, but it's going to be a lock of the week. Right, <laughs> because it's really tough for me. It's really tough for me. To... Well, if it's well, that's what I'm saying. If it's that tough, wouldn't you, you want to have your lock of the week is maybe a little, you know, maybe a game you feel a little bit more confident in. But it's really tough for me to go with the Bills and the 49ers who have such a long, like, you know, lawn spread. I mean, they've got both games are like minus 10, right? Yeah, they're probably going to be like double digits. You don't know, you know, again, for Miami, you still don't even know who the quarterback is. And my God, if it's if it's Skylar Thompson, God bless him, but he's not built for this. Not now. I don't know if he ever develops in anything, but uh, 
Yeah, that's that's a tough one. The pass rushers, too, in the Jacksonville Chargers game, I think is going to be a, a, a big key is who can get to the other team's quarterback, put more pressure on them. You know, the other Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker, you know, some of the other Jags pass rushers, can they make Herbert uncomfortable? By the same token, Khalil Mack, Bosa. Well, now Kyle Van Noy's kind of had like a resurgence here, kind of a – Although he did play well for the Dolphins last year, but, you know, he's made a big difference with this team. Sebastian Joseph Day on the inside. But are they going to be able to get to Lawrence? I know Peterson will probably have Trevor getting the ball out of his hands quickly for the most part, but they're going to have to take some shots, too. So they're going to have to hold up. And give you know Kirk time to get down the field, Marvin Jones Jr. and some of the other receivers. Again, a four-five matchup. You know, is going to be a fascinating game. Even though you know the Jags, uh, you know, come in nine and eight, and maybe just because that kind of was a playoff game, got some of those initial postseason jitters out of the way, and they're kind of retracing their steps here. Again, a Saturday night game at home. Again, kind of those initials, okay, we can do this. I mean, we were able to get it done. We're at home. And, you know, maybe they've got that first playoff game under their belt. Winner go home, playoff game. Again, this is a playoff game as well, so that'll help. And, of course, Jax DeVille, if he comes out in that speedo, then all bets are off and, you know, the Jaguars will be, will be flying. All right, the sandwich game on Sunday – is the Giants, other than the Lions, this might be one of the biggest stories. Brian Dable, what he's done with that team, getting them to the playoffs here, being a sixth seed, and now they're only three-point underdogs in Minnesota. And you talk to most of these sharp guys, that like betters and so forth, the Giants are probably more of a favorite in this game from the, I guess, the sharp guys, the Vegas guys. Because, and I don't know, they don't have, you know, a ton of weapons on the outside, but Dable's got the, got Daniel Jones believing in himself. They cut way down on the turnovers. Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, these are guys that weren't even, I don't know, on the depth chart, it seemed like at the beginning of the season. And now they're key contributors. A big addition has been the return of uh, tight end Daniel Bellinger that was a favorite of, of Daniel Jones. And that's that's a big deal because he's a pretty decent blocker. But, you know, he can get downfield a little bit and is a matchup problem with most linebackers or safety that wants to cover. He's a big dude, bo- you know, big body posts up, you know, down in the red zone. So Dayball, you just can't say enough about what they've done. And defensively, Wink Martindale obviously has made a huge difference. The way they play, how they come at you, the different blitz packages. I've been so thoroughly impressed. I mean, they're, they're kind of boring to watch, but they get the results. And I don't know, Daniel Jones may have worked himself, maybe not into a huge extension contract or whatever, but... If they're able to get him like in the like the mid twenties, twenty five million, thirty million for like two or three year like three year extension, if that's the if Dable really feels comfortable with him and they think he can continue to grow, that would I think be a great deal for both parties. 
but you know Minnesota comes in stumbling. They've had some tough, close games lately. They, I think they may have peaked a little too soon. Justin Jefferson is it, it really you haven't heard much of from him the last few games. Cook again, they've just kind of stumbled here, but they are at home. They have won 13 games, which again was more than anybody expected. Here we are, but God, I mean, I, I just, I just feel like this is the Giants' game to win. I don't know. The Vikings are just getting a ton of disrespect this week leading up to the game. They yeah. didn't stumble yes. to 13 wins. I mean, they have a very good offense. No, with Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, you know, putting on you know some very good numbers. I mean, this team has put up over 27 points per game at home. So. That's just a ton of disrespect for the Vikings. And they're hearing it like throughout the week that their defense can't stop anybody. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. The only thing is the Giants can't hurt them in the passing game. The only thing that they can do is kind of control the clock with Saquon Barkley like they did during their, what, Christmas Eve game. Do you remember that game? The 61-yard, you know, Greg Joseph hitting that field goal. Saquon Barkley was able to control that game. All right. And he was able to run and catch the football and, and Dable, that that's going to be the same game plan as well. I'm pulling for the Giants to pull off this upset. I think they've got a very good shot at doing it. But I hope that Martindale dials back the all out blitzing because the Giants front four, they can get to Kirk Cousins. They can hurt that Vikings offensive line that has injury issues. I just think that you know Martindale needs to kind of dial it down a little bit without going all in because Justin Jefferson and the Vikings can hurt him quite a bit. I mean, if he stays back with that secondary, if he protects those corners, I think they're going to have a very good shot. I give him a good shot, and I'm pulling for the Giants in this game, right? But again, the Vikings are hearing all this disrespect, and they've got Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, You've got a very good team, especially on offense. The Giants need to control the clock. I know they can do it, and their coaching staff is very good, and they'll do their best to keep it close. But again, the players are the ones that that get the job done on the football field. You can have a great coaching staff to put you in the best position possible, but you still have the players who need to execute that plan. And I was hoping to go with the Giants as my lock of the week, and I'm, you know, going with them, and I'm going to be pulling for them as an underdog, but I can't make this call as my lock of the week. I'm struggling with it because every time I hear a team getting disrespected leading up to a playoff game, that team comes out firing on all cylinders. The only thing about Minnesota, you you don't question the talent on offense. It's just, I guess, the consistency because it seemed like they were, like again, like flying – you know, during the beginning of the season, middle part of the season. And then as we've got like the, you know, the huge comeback against the Colts, you just have like these these performances that you're like, what, you know, just kind of head scratchers. You can't get away from Kirk Cousins and his performance in kind of spotlight games. Now, he has had some good ones. I and mean, a few years back, they went to New Orleans and beat the Saints. And the Saints had a great team that year. Right. I mean, he hits Rudolph in the back of the end zone and it was like, oh, my gosh, what's wow. Maybe this is the new Kirk. But, you know, 
whether it was with the Redskins, I guess he was with the Redskins at the time. So that the Washington team commanders never had a good record, you know, and I don't know, it's been documented and, and it's not just primetime games. It's games that the, the late window games and primetime games and playoff games, he's had a lot more clunkers than he's had good ones. And that's what scares me about Minnesota is that, for some reason, I don't know if he just tenses up or what it is, but he doesn't seem to have his best when his best is needed. Uh, and the Giants, again, they didn't win the game, but they didn't play a lot of their starters against Philadelphia. Now, granted, Jalen Hurts wasn't nearly 100% in that game, but they battled to the end and with Davis Webb only lost by six. Now, again, they scored late to make it look closer, but still. He just has that team believing. They know who they are. They know who they're not. It's just tough in a playoff game to take a team that doesn't have the quick strike ability. Or you don't just you just don't see them having like really short drives. Everything's going to be methodical, like you said, control the clock. So they're going to need to like have a lead or be within three points the margin gets any wider, you really don't like their chances much. So that's tough to make a bet on that team. But if you believe that one Daniel Jones is going to cut out his mistakes, which he's shown that he's kind of done a lot better at that this year. And that Saquon Barkley is going to be the bell cow and be effective and move the sticks I can't go against them. To me, in this game, I either take the Giants or I pass because Minnesota just scares me to death. Either they're going to come out and roll them or they're going to get beat. I just don't feel comfortable taking the Vikings, even though we, you know, preseason, you know, I touted them as making the playoffs. They were going to win a lot of these close games that they lost last year. They ended up winning all of those games, which is unheard of. One score games. I think they were like 11 and one. I don't know what it was, but it was ridiculous. And it just doesn't happen. So going into next year, who knows? They could be a 500 team. But for this game, I think it's either Giants or pass. Okay. Monday night, the end of Super Wildcard Weekend. It is Troy and Joe Buck on the call for ESPN. It's a night game, Dallas in Tampa, Tampa Bay, who I don't know that they've scored more than like 24 points in a game. I can't remember the last time they did. Uh, and Dallas, they played all their guys against Washington and had maybe the worst performance of their season. And Dak continues to throw interceptions. And here's the one stat that I thought was amazing. He's He led – the entire NFL in interceptions and missed five games. That's crazy. I mean, how many would he have thrown if he played those games? Just wild. Yet they're favored in this game on grass, on the road against Brady. I mean, all these things, but then Tampa, I don't know that they have a hard time scoring. You know, you saw the bombs away against Carolina and it was Mike Evans, who he hadn't been able to really connect with all season. And all of a sudden, the Panthers just lost them three times on big bombs. Is that going to continue? This is the, one of the tough, I think the toughest game to read because you think automatic Brady is a dog at home in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? Take the points and run. 
But then you say they can't, they don't really run the ball well. Is all of a sudden playoff Lenny going to show up and they're going to be able to run it? Their offensive line, I think Worfs is going to be healthy. So that's a little bit of good news. But this is a tough one for me. I just, I, I'm not getting a feel one way or the other. It's tough to go against Brady, though, in a playoff game, right? Yeah, absolutely. Considering that you know the Bucks have struggled all season long, and they still beat the Cowboys. Never lost to Dallas. He's never lost to Yeah, Dallas. the Cowboys are like 0-7 all-time against Tom Brady. I mean, it's tough to go against history, all right? The key of the game is going to be Cowboys pass rush versus Bucks struggling offensive line. I mean, if Parsons and yep. Lawrence can get to Brady and make him feel uncomfortable, that's going to be the recipe of this game. The only thing is the Cowboys' pass rush isn't as good on real grass as they are, you know, playing everywhere else. I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but as far as that pass rush goes, I mean, it seems like at midseason – you know, Micah Parsons was, okay, we're comparing him to LT and all these things that he's doing. But it seems like the last quarter of the season, you don't hear much about those pass rushers at all, right? I agree with you, but the Bucks have such huge issues at bookends. I mean, they've they've struggled with injuries. Donovan Smith has, has had a tough time protecting, you know, Tom Brady's blind side. We all know that Tom Brady isn't going to run away from anybody. You have to protect him. Even though he gets the ball out quickly, you still have to protect him a little bit. I'm going to go with the Bucks because they're at home, because of that experience, because they have a lot of players that have been here before, and Dak isn't playing well. Hello? I mean, you could say all you want. Like, he's throwing for a ton of yards. He's converting a lot of third downs, but he's throwing picks interceptions matter in a playoff game. If you're going to make a mistake or two, good teams are going to hurt you. And I think the Bucks are going to come out on top here. I guess I'd feel a little bit more confident if they've shown me anything. Because, yeah, they've come back in, in several games, you know, against the Rams. I guess their best offensive output was against the Panthers. And the Panthers really had them on the ropes for most of that game. I mean, if they were, again, I mean, there's nothing I can hang my hat on right now other than the fact that it's Tom Brady and they're at home and they're getting points. That's it. But other than that, there's nothing that I can point to and say I can rely on this happening or at least this combination is going is going to be effective against this particular defense. I'm not seeing it. And as far as the Cowboys are concerned, you know, how confident can you be in Dak when it just seems like every week he's throwing picks and ugly ones, pick sixes. This is bad. I mean, you talk about two teams that, again, come into the playoffs with not a whole lot going right and hoping to kind of catch fire in the playoffs and get them kind of moving towards perhaps a, a championship game uh appearance but just not feeling it all right so black monday came and went not too many surprises i mean we knew about uh, you kind of had an inkling about lovey smith the last two coaches that houston has hired it, it just seemed like they we got to have somebody so david cully hey you, you take the job this year and deal with all this sean watson crap okay lovey come on down <laughs> you know you don't have anything else going on you be the head coach and it's like what are we doing and i just thought it was so cool 
that Lovey kind of flipped the front office off in that last game and got his team across the finish line, goes for two at the very end to win the game and cost them the number one overall pick. In the grander scheme of things, it's probably not going to make that big of a difference, one or two. Uh, I don't think Chicago, no matter what smoke screens they put up, are going to try to take a quarterback there. Uh, maybe they'll fool people into thinking they might, even though they've got Justin Fields. I don't think they'll get the haul that some other teams have gotten for the overall number one pick. So we'll see. But I just thought it was there was like his final move was to say, okay, screw you, get the second pick, not the first. So he's out. And then not a huge surprise, but I guess just the fact that again in Arizona, uh, Cliff gets the axe and probably accepted it. He's probably the happiest guy going right now. He's going to get paid for the next five years uh if he stays out of coaching i mean if he gets another job maybe some offsets or whatever but he just looked miserable i think that uh relationship that was supposed to be so solid with kyler murray obviously was severed you know and i that that whole those scenes on the sideline or he comes over barking at his head coach like what are you doing man and even new Hopkins was putting his arm around it he couldn't couldn't get him calmed down. So anyway, I don't know who's going to want to step into those shoes. Maybe it's Vance Joseph. He's already on the staff. Maybe Kyler likes him and they bring in, you know, an offensive coordinator that he likes. Uh, other than that, you're thinking who could they possibly get that would, and he just got to USC, but maybe Lincoln Riley, maybe he could work with Lincoln Riley. I don't know, but that's just a mess in Arizona. And then the other spots were all kind of, we knew, uh, obviously Carolina got rid of Matt Rule early on, uh, Nathaniel Hackett out in Denver, obviously Reich went earlier in the season, it's Jeff Saturday as the interim, and Ursay still loves him, so who knows what's going to happen there. Um, and then you got some teams, I, I, let's go to the Alex here, what, what teams do you think that haven't let go of their coach? could potentially and there might be a couple playoff teams that if they lose first round could be looking for a new coach i think that's fairly easy i mean if the cowboys lose mike mccarthy is going to lose his job and if the chargers lose i think brandon staley is gone jerry says no that's ridiculous jerry says no he's not gonna not gonna base it on one game. All right. If Sean Payton is available there, <laughs> you probably take a swing. Well, he is available. You, you're gonna take a we swing. We know that. Considering that he used to be the, the Cowboys' offensive coordinator, he knows that organization. He would love to get his hands on the Chargers or the Cowboys or the Denver Broncos. He's probably gonna you know have his his pick for the choosing. But I do think the Cowboys and uh, Mike McCarthy and Brandon Staley and the Chargers, they're in trouble. If they don't win this week, I think the owners are, are going to let those head coaches go. But I want to see what happens with Harbaugh. I think Peyton is going to jump in somewhere here. He's going to get a job. I want to see those hot young offensive assistants, the offensive coordinators like Mike Kafka. I mean, D'Amico Ryans is an interesting name to keep an eye on because I think that he's ready to take on that head coaching responsibility based on what he's done the past couple of years. 
And watch out for Eric Bieniemy. Who wants to take the Houston Texans job after they let go of uh, of those head coaches back to back and and fired them, you know, after the first year? Maybe Eric Bieniemy becomes like the hot candidate there because any other real candidate wouldn't want to be there. He wouldn't want to take that job. That's interesting that you say that. And I I talked about Cully and then Lovey and now you bring in a third black coach minority minority hire and the idea is he's probably just a placeholder again three cycles in a row we talk about the you know the the washington franchise and some of these other ones that are just mismanaged just totally wrecks what about houston they're so horrible on the field. I don't think that you know enough light has been shed on their organization because it's just, and, you know the Deshaun Watson issues. You know what they did with with, with Hopkins and some of their other big players and JJ Watt. You know, kind of forcing his way out of there. That's a mess. And you talked about EB. You know, there's a lot of names that you don't hear. And and again, some of these guys are involved in playoffs, but you know, EB, Leslie Frazier, Lou Anarumo, you haven't really heard those names. The names you keep hearing, you know, again, you mentioned Harbaugh and Peyton. Frank Reich's name came up. You know, I guess he's going to be interviewing with Carolina. Jim Caldwell, I think, has already interviewed at Carolina. Wilkes, of course, the interim, he's earned at very least an interview for that job or second chance. Um, and then the, the young names, like you said, Kafka in Houston, Shane Steichen, John Gannon, the Philadelphia coordinators, uh, Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator with Seattle. You mentioned D'Amico Ryans, Ben Johnson, hot name, the deep, the offensive coordinator for Detroit. You know, I don't know what these owners are looking for, but it looks like the Walmart owners for Denver, they're looking for some experience uh, somebody that's been there before. So that's why you see the names Harbaugh, Peyton, Dan Quinn, along with Ajiro Evero, their defensive coordinator. And he's also been mentioned in other jobs as well. So you've got this handful, the, the young guns, but you also have these experienced guys. The ship may have sailed for Biennemi, and now it's just like, and I've brought it up before, his stature, his cadence, his language, how he speaks may not come across very well in an interview with owners, but I think with players, it resonates. And the other part is I just think they don't trust the fact that he's doing much with Andy Reid being the head coach. He's just had so many interviews. All these people have talked to him. He was, you know, he already spoke with Houston, you know, I think the last two cycles. I just think Houston is going to go after like a young head coach, a young assistant for a head coach, or maybe somebody like EB. It's an attractive job for somebody who is looking for a two, three year rebuilding job. Harbaugh and Peyton aren't going to go there. They want to win now. They want to have a good quarterback in place. They want to have a, a roster that they can get into the playoffs right away. But Houston is not as bad of a job. But I do realize what you're saying with the ownership. With the fact that they canned their last two head coaches, you don't feel too good about going there. But there, there are a lot of positive things working in Houston's direction. And I'm also going to go to a division where, besides Jacksonville, 
you know, the other teams look gloomy. You know, I could have an ascend in this division. You know, this isn't the AFC West or the NFC East. You know, I, I'm going to have the ability to win there in a couple of years after I rebuild that roster. What would be most telling, and you mentioned EB, is that if Mike Kafka gets a head coaching job before Eric Bieniemy, I think that's going to say a lot about the hiring process and about, I don't know, I mean, the, the diversity issues that, that seem to happen year in and year out. And then the other thing is you've got probably within the next day or two, the Rams job might come up. So, you know, with McVeigh, you know, kind of, I mean, he's talking about it overtly about, uh, you know, he needs time away to make this decision. That, and he was even tied last year. There was some talk that he, you know, burn out this whole thing. And he's only 36. You know, you saw Gruden do it, step away from the game for a few years, wildly successful with his job at ESPN doing Monday Night Football. Uh, now it didn't turn out for him, but that was a whole other situation. But it, again, it might have that job open up. Does Raheem Morris kind of, you know, step into that role just to kind of keep the continuity and hopefully, you know, guys like Stafford stick around and uh, Cup comes back healthy and so forth. Uh, but you, you never know. You mentioned the Chargers State. Hey, uh, Dallas, same thing. How about the Browns? That's one situation that's been sort of quiet they just fired their defensive coordinator maybe that's just the start uh, I what do, you, what do you think there you think that you think Stefanski's safe I do think he's safe I think they'll give him an extra year to work with Deshaun Watson for the entire season and, and see what what transpires because I mean you can't really like judge Stefanski based on what happened this year I mean he was what playing with, you know, a backup quarterback, a third-string quarterback. Give him some time. I, I think that this is going to be kind of a, a do-or-die year, 2023 season. But I think you give him and Deshaun Watson an extra season to see where it goes. And if it doesn't work out, that Stefanski is going to be on the street. Yeah, still a lot of rust on Deshaun. Uh, he doesn't, doesn't look anywhere near, you know, the quarterback we knew a few years back. And that was, I guess, sort of to be expected. Uh, you just don't leave playing against the best play. You know, obviously the, the best players in the world, and just expect to come right back and be where you were. He's got a lot of work ahead of him, and hopefully he puts it in and is ready next year. Because, yeah, I mean that division's just getting tougher and tougher. I mean the Steelers were coming on late in the season. Kenny Pickett kind of looks like maybe you know the Steelers have found their guy. And uh, Tomlin just has him rolling. All right, let's make some picks. Did you hone in on your lock of the week? Well, it's a lot of games, but I'll stick with what I said at the top of the show. I said I was going to go with the Jaguars versus the Chargers game. So that's my lock of the week. I'll go with the Chargers on the road, getting minus one and a half. It's a late game. I think the key here is going to be Keenan Allen working out of the slot and exploiting the Jaguars' secondary. I also think that Justin Herbert is going to be he's going to come out on the winning side versus Lawrence on this. And the edge on defense is Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, you know, against that offensive line. I think they're going to be too much for the Jaguars' O-line and for Lawrence 
in that regard. It's a tough game. I said I would never pick the Chargers again after I've lost, you know, picking them as my lock of the week during the season. <laughs> I'm going against the trend here. That That's probably the kiss of death here, Lo, picking the Chargers here. So you should pick the Jaguars right away. Like, jump on this and pick the Jaguars, please, <laughs> because that seems to be the lock of the week. But I'll go with the Los Angeles Chargers on the road. I think Herbert gets his uh, first playoff win in his first game. Well, just to... Kind of as a uh, retro here, let's go back and final regular season stats, 33 wins, 20 losses, one tie. So pretty good season. One of my best uh, in a while. Um, not going to pick every game. I kind of give you an idea who I who I liked as we talked about them. As far as, you know, best bets, if you would. Um, I know it's a lot, but if you can get nine and a half versus ten. I would say San Francisco would be the side there. Uh, I do like the Jaguars as, as an underdog at home. So I'll take Jacksonville plus one and a half there. Uh, I would love to bet the Bills, but again, the uncertainty of quarterback on the other side, you just don't know what you're getting. Uh, same thing with Baltimore, Cincinnati. I, you know, Baltimore is just one of those teams. It's like a, a, a thorn in Cincinnati's side is good as, Cincinnati is and they could probably beat anybody in this AFC field but Baltimore knows them better than anyone uh they game plan against them better than anyone and even with their third string quarterback they kind of kept the game relatively close so again that's just a tough one I don't see it I mean I you know the spot is seven what's it going to be if Lamar plays which it's not trending there. We'll be talking about him all offseason, as well as Brady and Rodgers, like every other year. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, and then that last game. So I'm just going to stick with those two Saturday games. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Let's throw in – we'll throw in the Giants as well. Let's do that. So we've got the Giants plus three, Jacksonville plus one and a half, San Francisco minus nine and a half. I'll give you three of the six. Uh, don't feel real good. <laughs> are comfortable with with anything else and even those three eh, not so much but uh yeah let's, let's go with it san francisco jacksonville and the new york football giants let's do it all right alex anything else on the i'm count? surprised you didn't go with every game during the wild card round i thought you were going to take a swing there i mean usually the the, the more no, I want to hone in. I want to hone in on some games that you know might actually, you know, just to me feel a little bit stronger than the other ones. Again, I just I'm not gonna throw down. I'm not gonna throw down any cash on just you know just on a roll of the dice. All right, let's get out of here. Gotta Lou. stick. To, gotta stick to. My, gotta stick to my guns, man. All right, for Alex, this is Lou. Uh, I know it's been a few weeks, but uh, we're sorry for the, the little gap there. But we are back and better than ever. Uh, we've got player interviews starting starting to roll, roll in with the offseason coming up. Uh, go ahead and hit subscribe if you would, please. And again, as always, till next time. Ooh.